You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hello and welcome to the China Geopolitics Podcast. I'm Finbar Birmingham, the Europe correspondent here at the South China Morning Post. It's a scorcher in Hong Kong. Summer has hit early and the aircon is dialed up to 11. But we might need to moderate that in the future. The big news this week is about climate, climate and more climate and the global efforts to stop it from rising. Joe Biden held his Earth Day extravaganza on Thursday, joined by 40 world leaders from six continents, including China's Xi Jinping. This marked a remarkable turnaround since the Trump era and a reminder of the US's renewed push to form coalitions on just about everything. John Carter and Joe Shin will, as ever, be with me today to discuss this big issue, plus a curious episode involving former Chinese Premier Wen Jiabao writing about his mother that raised eyebrows in China and abroad, plus a renewed push by British lawmakers to force the government's hand on issues related to Xinjiang. Buckle up. Joined on Friday afternoon here by John Carter and Joe Shin to discuss the week's events. We're going to lead with the climate talks which happened overnight in the United States. Well, they were held virtually, but they were hosted by the Biden administration. Uh, We saw the US make commitments to double what they'd previously committed to cut from the greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. Uh, They're now going to cut or aim to cut 50 to 52 percent compared to 26 to 28 percent below 2005 levels under the Obama administration. Uh, Xi Jinping, of course, attended the talks and he discussed China to meet peak coal use by 2025 and to moderate new coal-fired plants. Um, Joshin, what was your sense of this? There wasn't really that many massive announcements outside of what the United States had done, but I suppose this, it was uh, one area that we saw China and the US at least sharing a stage and at least sort of cooperating in a way. Oh, yes, Fingba, that's a very good, uh, interesting point, because as we all know, Beijing basically kept uh, the cars to its chest until the last minute. You know, everyone saying almost like a month ago, uh, Joe Biden has already said, I have already sent an invitation to uh, President Xi Jinping, uh, President Putin, but I don't know whether they will show up or not. And Beijing has been refused to, to confirm or deny whether President Xi will be at the summit. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, with uh, uh, Kerry in Shanghai for the two day, two or three day talks, and then everyone seems like, okay, you know, China and the United States have at least, you know, they, they can agree on something. And uh, President Xi showed up at this event and also uh, laid out China's uh, plans and also stated China's uh, uh, policy statements. I think that's, in general, a very positive sign. But, of course, I mean, behind these uh, these uh, um, um, official statements and, you know, uh, Joe Biden is trying to put the United States uh, back as a leader in global climate change. And China, of course, is uh, does not want to be sure that China is... Uh, uh, led by or is following the the, mm. the U.S. You know, the Ch- President Xi Jinping has already made it very clear that China's climate change efforts is made for the purpose of uh, you know China's own contribution to the humankind and also for the eternal development of the Chinese nation itself. So we are going to see there are, of course, there are from both sides uh, there are willingness to co- cooperate, mm-hmm. but at the same time we can see there's lots of hidden tensions behind uh, the surface. Yeah, absolutely. And John, I wanted to um, ask you about your views on the significance of this. It's something that we couldn't have imagined happening last year. Um, if not President Trump. Trump was in office, uh, this would never be happening. No, um, not under Trump. Didn't even believe in climate change, but you know, by all accounts, oh, right. No, it's it's a sea change, if you will. Um, pardon the pun. <laughs> 
in in the attitude towards uh, uh, climate change and what that you have to do something about it and do something about it soon. I mean, the, the level of these commitments were even in a uh, even under Obama, as you noticed, Biden has doubled the commitment. Uh, so the, this is picking up speed, picking up momentum, and it's. Uh, it appears it's going to be one of the big things in the next couple of decades. Um, in furtherance of what Joe Shin was saying, um, China wants to be a leader in this whole movement, and it already is in many ways. It is the world's largest producer of solar panels. It is the world's largest producer of new energy vehicles and is likely to have more new energy vehicles than many countries have cars at all. Um, and so it is It is at the forefront of this movement, and it remains to be seen going forward how China cooperates with the rest mm. of the world in this regard. Yeah. This is a big question I'm wondering, and you may, may both have thoughts on this. Um, <clears throat> when I think about uh, people often saying that China, this is the, the climate is one area that China can collaborate with the West, with the European Union, with the United States. And I wonder to myself, how can you collaborate on one area when you don't trust each other in any other area, like in terms of sharing technology, sharing intelligence? And I've seen some people who know far more about this than I do over the past week saying that just this mutual recognition of where you need to be in terms of the targets, the, the pressure on each other to not sort of be seen to be doing less than the other. Um, it's almost like uh, the opposite of mutually assured destruction in a sense, John. It's policy decoupling, if you will. You're, yeah. you're decoupling the, the whole climate change debate from other more contentious issues like human rights and uh, Taiwan and so forth. Um, we'll see. It is a huge problem and it needs to be addressed. And I think everybody agrees on that. Mm. It, well, most agree on that. Uh, it's... With Kerry, uh, John Kerry, the uh, uh, Biden's climate envoy, went to China and, by all reports, had a very successful talk there. Um, I, I go back to 2014. China and the United States did reach agreements mm. on, on climate change, uh, which led to the Paris Treaty on climate change. Without that agreement between the U.S. and China, who were even at that point the two largest emitters in the world, there probably wouldn't have been a Paris climate deal. So. It can happen. It has happened. There is precedent. Will it happen in the future? We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Joshin, just to turn to you very briefly before we move on from the climate issues, um, we saw the Koreans um, vow to stop financing coal overseas, um, something that there's pressure on Japan to do as well. China's often been criticized for exporting um, coal related projects around the Belt and Road and so on. Is that something you could see maybe China addressing? Um, further down the line? Would it be an immediate priority or what do you think about that? Well, I think uh, President Xi has made some uh, promises at this uh, meeting saying, you know, China will be uh, pay attention to, to, to the uh, coal uh, plants. But uh, I mean, every every project has to be taken in historical context, right? For instance, in China, many parts of China, in northern parts of China, the coal has been the only source of energy for the last hundreds of years, possibly. And, uh, you know, just a, just a 10 or 20 years ago, it's not uh, uncommon to just walk into any Chinese, northern Chinese city, and you see like every household and every factory, every company is burning coal. So China has already made a long way in terms of, uh, you know, cutting the cutting the coal consumption, mm -hmm. or at least cutting the waste for 
co-consumption. You know, if if you if you're in Beijing in the 1990s, you will see in the winter every uh, you know the rickshaws with the piles of yeah. coal crossing the alleyways, crossing the hutongs. But now this has been largely disappeared, and this sign has been disappearing in many many cities. And now now of course we we still have lots of uh, so-called coal-powered uh, fire, uh, you know, coal-fired power project. Uh, but if you look at uh, even if you look at the smoke, uh, and you know usually it's black. Now it's possibly you know, white or a little bit of gray. <laughs> okay. So since I've already... Uh, Not quite white smoke just yet in China. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's for sure. But, but I just want to give the, give the impression that, you know, China has now made a commitment. Just, but there are lots of technical uh, kind of technology issues yeah. and also institutional issues to be solved before China can move to that ideal situation. I'll give you one, one example. For instance, uh, in northern, northern China, especially in Hebei, Beijing two years ago in the winter, Beijing was really, uh, really uh, determined that we must, you know, reduce all coal mm -hmm. consumption. So we have to uh, shift the coal to natural gas. But China's natural gas supply or the facility has not been in place. So this is a huge social and political problem. For millions of households yeah. are freezing, freezing, <laughs> people yes. freezing to death. Uh, yes, yeah. in the in the in the in the winter. You know this kind of issue. If you were the you were the Chinese government, of course you have to factor in. Say yes, mm. I can you know shut down this uh, uh, coal. Uh, power uh, coal-fire uh, power project, but what else? You know, is uh, is is alternative ready now? Yeah. So these kind of issues, I think China, the Chinese government has ha has to factor in its uh, in its uh, uh, climate change plans. Yeah, domestic politics also it's going to be a factor for every country that's signing up for this stuff, John. I think I noticed after Joe Biden had made his pledge to double commitments on emissions, you had the you know the coal mining institute or associations or whatever in Virginia and so in, so on coming out to criticise him. So with all of these global pledges, people have to be very smart with how they deal with it domestically too. Of course. I mean, the, these are vested interests. And as Joe Shin pointed out, they've been vested interests for a long time. Um, and so... You need to overcome that domestic opposition and come up with viable alternatives, which may require subsidization, uh, retraining of workers, and, and other plans. And I think that that is, as I understand it, is part of Biden's infrastructure plan is to um, finance the green revolution and retrain workers mm -hmm. to work in manufacturing and to work in other areas, uh, both related and unrelated to the green drive. But We'll see. Again, um, a lot of America's electric power is, like China's, uh, burned with coal, although increasingly those plants are being shut down. Um, this is the, the, the big challenge everywhere. Um, Eastern Europe uh, is heavily dependent on coal still. Germany, even after they de yeah. decommissioned the nuclear plants. Well, and they're decommissioning the nuclear plants yeah. would make it even more difficult, where China is building more nukes. Um, and, and America is switching to natural gas because of shale oil and gas. There's mm -hmm. a lot of gas, new gas coming online. Uh, one of the reasons China may be reluctant uh, to proceed more rapidly with decoalizing its economy is it has a lot of coal. And so it secure, has secure supply where natural gas, most of that uh, is going to have to be imported from Australia, from the United States, from elsewhere. And that is an issue. 
through the South China Sea from the Gulf yeah, <laughs> just to open exactly. another can of worms yeah, there. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of politics at every level of this story. I want to go a little bit inside baseball with Joe Shin here to talk about um, an interesting story we saw during the week involving the former Chinese Premier Wen Jiabo, who has published a personal reminiscence about his late mother, uh, which appeared in a Macanese newspaper um, presenting his mother and himself as people tested by hardship and uncorrupted by power. Um, Joshin, what seems on the face of it like quite a touching and heartfelt tribute made waves in China and it was um, it didn't escape the, the sharpened knives of the censors either. Why is this controversial for the uninitiated? Well, this uh, this is a very interesting topic. Uh, I think there are lots of uh, uh, over-interpression into the censorship of this article. I think there was one uh, ruling in China that as a former state leader, if uh, Premier Wen is going to, former Premier Wen is going to publish his memoir, he has to go through certain like institutions because uh, the you know the Communist Party have uh, have uh, have a control have a total control of the narrative of the past, and imagine like if uh, he as one of the former state leaders can uh, publish his memoir whether we should allow Bo Xilai and uh, Zhou Yongkang <laughs> to publish their accounts of the historical events, or even uh, even not you know. There are nine members of the of the form of the former Politburo. Are the eight members uh, being equally entitled mm. to do this? And this is this is quite interesting because uh, when when the New York Times, you know, publishing this very controversial article about the family wealth of mm. Premier Wen, uh, by that time, uh, I think two lawyers representing the Wen family has sent kind of clarification to uh, Hong Kong newspapers. But this is also very controversial because uh, the logic is like this. Okay, for now, uh, there's foreign newspaper, there's US-based newspaper, make some allegations about uh, the personal uh, corruption of a Chinese leader and the Chinese leader responded. This so, was in 2013? T- 2013, or, yes. yes, something like 2014. Uh, Will this become a standard practice? How about there will be a next, uh, uh, you know, newspaper, a second newspaper, have a different story against a different state leader? Will that state leader do the same thing? Mm. Or if that, if that didn't happen, then is this a, a kind of tacit confirmation of the yeah. reported contents? Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's a very uh, it's it's uh, I, I would say this is more more complicated than you know in the Western democracies sure. you know, where every former politician just to publish their own memoirs. But it was seen also. Um, as a veiled attack, maybe on or like veiled criticism rather than an attack, maybe of the leadership. Is that is that accurate? No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I, I can't read uh, 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 implications from that. Anyway, this is a very well written, uh, very personalized uh, memorial of uh, um, of uh, his mother, and then in the implication of it, of course, there are some kind of uh, um, implications that my family is always clean. You know, because my mother always taught me to be kidding, never take uh, uh, anything that is not mine, even not even a cent. This, this kind of message. Mm-hmm. But uh, but of course, but when writing this story, you know, you have no evidence. You know, you kind of just uh, make a phone call to Premier Wang and say, do you mean, you know, are you trying to imply you are not corrupted? And, and then if you try to establish these, uh, say, uh, this, this article about his mother is actually, you know, is actually the surface, the real intention is try to defend his, uh, his fame, then you need some, some hard evidence to support that. Mm. But unfortunately, we cannot have these kind of uh, uh, evidence. Yeah. The best you can 
can do is just a, you know reading your uh, you're reading the tea leaves. But again, this is where it become opinion <laughs> opinion piece. This is so much yeah. of what covering Chinese politics is these days is reading between the lines and you exactly. know trying to decipher whether there's a hidden meaning because nobody's really saying anything publicly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't say you know the story included a line saying I hope China will be a free country and <laughs> no, it's uh, it's kind of uh, anti Xi slogan. You know, yeah. That's that's a little bit. Uh, far-fetched. Yeah, yeah, interesting nonetheless. Um, and uh, we, we'll see if there's any more <laughs> fallout from that. Uh, overnight, uh, we just wanted to touch on something that happened in Britain. Um, we talked about ways in which maybe Western powers in China can work together. This is certainly not one of them. Um, there was a non-binding vote in the UK Parliament overnight which um, in which a small group of MPs uh, declared that... Um, genocide is taking place in Xinjiang. This is obviously a very touchy subject. Chinese embassy today came out with an extremely strongly worded statement to uh, trend uh, to, to, to say this was not the case, that they said genocide is not happening. But these things keep happening and it shows that despite us discussing at the top of the show areas in which they may be able to work together, John, um, there seems to be so many areas in which they are coming apart at the seams too. Well, this is just the latest declaration by a Western government of uh, declaring what's happening to the Uyghurs in Xinjiang as genocide. I mean, the the Dutch parliament, uh, you the Canadian parliament, you have U.S. top U.S. officials all saying that. Um, and so in a way, momentum is building. But where does it go? Um, uh, the, the, the two largest economies in Europe, Germany and France, have not made any such declarations. So you could argue that there's a split within Europe. I don't know that it's that severe. But the point is, there are those who are willing to take very strong positions Mm -hmm. and those who are going to be more pragmatic and uh, work with the Chinese. And that seems to be uh, that debate within Europe, it seems to be going on at the moment. and yeah. we'll, it's, we'll see what happens, but yeah, yeah the, this this is despite or be, you know, this this uh, controversy surrounding Xinjiang is one is a key sticking point at the moment between the West and China, and uh, it, it raises the question of can you separate that from say climate change or are they commingled? Yeah. It's interesting to talk about the pragmatism in certain parts of Europe, and just to clarify, there in. Um, in the, both the United Kingdom, in Netherlands, and also in Canada, the governments there didn't back the So it's Parliament saying this. It's not actually the governments. I think the governments are trying to walk a finer line. They don't want to go right. down this road because right. they realise it would probably be a catastrophe commercially. Um, well, this is it. Cause another wave of sanctions or something like that. Yes. Um, but to, to just to return to the point of pragmatism, we also have seen this week... Um, the German, uh, the the race for the for the next Chancellor of, of Germany heat up. Uh, the CDU has named Lachey as the candidate. We've also seen the Green Party name a very popular candidate and surge in the polls. So we may see Beijing's best friend in Europe, uh, Angela Merkel. We're going to see her leave in September, and there may be a sort of shift in in how that is. And I just want to ask Joe Shin, like in terms of how China has viewed Merkel, she's always made a point of visiting China once a year, 12 out of twelve years out of 15 years, she's, she's made the trip. Um, China's losing its number one ally in Europe. And how much of a concern is it, I guess, what might be next? They don't know what's next, but what may be around the corner? 
Uh, well, if the if the Lushing was uh, uh, been the next, I think China would a uh, little bit, uh, you know, at ease mm. because that's something Beijing can, uh, you know, has at, at least it's like uh, predictable for Beijing. But I mean, for the for the role of uh, Merkel, of course, yeah, departure of Merkel for 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 the Chinese government, it's uh, it's uh, it's a big loss in, in Europe. And I think uh, John will have much more to say about Merkel uh, than me. Well, she definitely was a friend to China. She, uh, but be be clear, China industry, particularly the car industry, is heavily dependent on China. Um, In Germany, yeah. I mean, the last week, Daimler, the maker of Mercedes-Benz cars, reported its its results, which were better than expected, largely or almost entirely because of better sales in China. Everyone wants to drive a big Mercedes S-Class limousine. So, <laughs> oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Yes. <laughs> so the Beijing uh, and the Shanghai yeah. Street can be more crowded. <laughs> exactly. So um, whoever is chancellor is going to come under pressure from uh, Chinese, from German industry to be friendly with China because it, 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 they send a lot of exports there. It accounts for a lot of jobs in Germany. Mm. And, and so it's very important. Now, one interesting fact about Germany is this idea that the Green Party is coming up in the world and that CDU, CSU, is, is, their support is falling. Mm-hmm. Green Party support is rising. And the prospect of a coalition government between the conservative CDU, CSU, and the Greens, um, what does this mean? What are Green Party policies? Obviously, the Green Party is very environmentally focused, and does that help the push? Human rights as well. Well, also human rights, and how how does this play out? Um, Merkel was a force in her own right. She was um, she was the leader of Europe, and everybody acknowledged that. And now she's leaving the stage, and so who takes over? Does anybody have the gravitas that she had in order to? lead the conversation about global issues, including China. Yeah, quiet gravitas. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's going to be fascinating to see. Uh, we're also sort of seeing pockets of, of populism and so on popping up all over Europe. So I think it's not mm-hmm. just Germany. It's a, it's a bit of a shift. I just wanted to finish up with something that I noticed. Um, last week on the show, we discussed the, the Beijing Olympics. The potential for boycotts was obviously topic of conversation. We also talked about... Beijing's concerns or, or maybe how, how would they cover somebody who protested on the podium if they wore a t-shirt about Hong Kong or something like that. Just this week, um, on Thursday, the IOC announced that athletes will be banned from protesting on podiums and the field of play at the Tokyo and the Beijing at Tokyo Olympics and the Beijing Winter Games after recommendations from the Athletes Athletes Commission. That would be a little bit of a of a of greeted as good news, I'm sure, in the quarters of power in Beijing, Joshin. Oh yes, I think um, I mean Beijing has kind of this uh, very very good good skills and expertise in handling situations like this. So even like uh, you know, some people are very determined to make a political statement. I think the Chinese government to know exactly how to manage this. And it's, it's that said, you know, this is why the Tesla's whole, whole Tesla thing is so interesting. Yeah. You know, one normal consumer, you know, doing a, a protest against Tesla, and the video like being clipped by hundreds of millions of times, and they are, are on and on follow up with the state media led by Xinhua News Agency, and then also uh, all the Beijing uh, kind of 
administrators and uh, regulatory agencies following on and almost directly uh, ordering the local uh, regulators say you must look into this you know must reopen the books to investigate the case mm-hmm. and this is so interesting I don't know the end game but it sounds so unusual yeah we'll hear more about that further down the road for now John Carter Joe Shin thanks so much for joining us thank you thank you Thanks for listening to this week's China Geopolitics podcast with me, Finbar Birmingham. We will be back next week. Until then, wash your hands, keep your distance, wear your mask. You know the drill. All the best. As critical news stories emerging from China continue to shape lives and business around the world, the weekly SCMP Global Impact Newsletter brings you expert analyses and insights on the economics of COVID-19, society, technology, and the environment. Sign up to receive your weekly email at scmp.com newsletters.